You can be a Christian and not necessarily be spiritual. <clears throat> you can lack spirituality as a Christian. And it is... Um, hold on. We are to not lack at all in our spirituality. Amen? <clears throat> you, you can be a moral person. You can be very moral and still lack spirituality. Okay? <clears throat> well, welcome everybody. <clears throat> I want to ask that we <clears throat> provide our undivided attention. Um, I've said this before, but I'm going to I'm going to reemphasize this yet again. But every time you join, let it be let it be known that you're not joining. You're not you're not just joining a meeting, right? You're not even joining a good meeting. What you're joining is the assembly of the saints. The word assembly comes from the Greek word ecclesia. Sounds like Spanish, iglesia. Um, iglesia is church, obviously. Um, ecclesia is assembly or church. Called out ones. <clears throat> we are called out ones. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light and we've we've been called out in order for us to assemble when we do that it's sanctified see not every good thing is a sanctified thing <clears throat> the assembly has been declared holy by the lord um amen the assembly has been declared holy by the Lord. That's what and what sanctifies it as holy is our prayers to him, his presence, and us fulfilling the criteria here in scripture for what is determined to be in place for each and every one of our meetings. The scriptures are to be proclaimed. We're to, the Bible says, my house shall be a house of prayer of many nations. Right? Singing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts unto the Lord. So, I say that because this is, this is God's time. Um, this, is, this is God's people. You, you are God's people. We are God's people. And this is... Where his spirit dwells in our midst. And he is the head of the church. And as the head, we, we follow suit with what he declares and where he leads. And so, um, I, I went to, um, you know, I support a brother and he has a Bible study. And we were praying and we were worshiping and one of the brothers was on his phone, um, that's I'm gonna say this, and it's might you might it might offend you, and I'm, my intention is not to offend you, but it's so you can get delivered from your carnal practices. That's rebellion. I'm not when I say rebellion, I'm not saying just checking a good important text, but he was on it for quite a long time. Even if he is reading scripture, 
is still, um, at the very least, ignorant. Why? Because whenever the head, the Holy Spirit, Christ, is moving in the church in a specific direction, he doesn't create division. And so that even if the division amounts to looking like something every uh, something that not everybody else is doing, that man is not in accord with God. So if if we're all praying at a prayer meeting and someone's just kicking back reading the Bible, that man is not in sync with the Holy Spirit. I don't care what he says. I don't care what book of the Bible he's reading. It's not in sync with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Acts that as they sat in one, as they sat in one mind, one accord, lifting praises to God, then the Holy Spirit came. Until they were all in one mind, in one accord, the Spirit did not come. One mind. What does one mind do? Do one thing. Right? One mind is one thing, not several. Okay? And so we need to dispense of our immaturities and grow in the maturity of the mind of the Spirit. And that's what I hope to be talking to you about today is developing that mind, those seeing eyes and those those listening ears. Because if you do not cultivate the seeing eyes, and when I say seeing eyes, I'm not talking about some new age nonsense. Um, I, I, I have to say stuff like that because sometimes people with sensitive conscience like, oh, where's, you know, that sounds new agey and stuff like that. No, it, it's it's Bible. That's all it is. It's, it's Bible is uh, we have eyes to see and ears to hear as Christians. That is our portion. And, and if we don't, we will be beating the air. We will be shadow boxing without direction and we will get nowhere in life if we cannot hear God. Amen. And that is one of the fruits of spirituality is that we come to hear God. Okay, so I, I this is going to be more of an in-depth teaching rather than a preaching per se. So I want to encourage you to have your Bibles present and actually turn there. Um, so we're going to be doing a bit of reading. I want to ask that we first of all turn to John chapter 3, verse 3. And also, if you want to take notes as well, I would uh, encourage that. Um, because this is, um, I'm taking more of a systematic approach. Um, so there will be several points that support what I'm saying. And so these points are... Uh, some ideas and scriptures that you can go back and read. But as I've said, I want to emphasize as you're turning there, John chapter 3, verse 3, um, let it be be advised that you have to come to the place to where you um, are able to interpret the voice of the Spirit. Because if you don't, you can die an early death. If you don't, you can miss roads that you should have taken in order to fulfill your destiny. And I don't know about you, but I don't want my destiny to die. We've been predestined for greatness. We have been predestined. Some of you, even now, you, you, you think that that's a carnal statement. 
We've been predestined for greatness. It's because you don't have sanctified lenses to see and to hear what I'm saying. The ultimately, the one that is ultimately great is God. But he makes our name great in the earth. The name of the just is blessed, the Bible says in Proverbs, but the name of the wicked shall rot. A good name is better than an inheritance, the Bible says in Proverbs. A new name will I give them in the book of Revelation. The Lord had named Abram, Abram to Abraham, a father of many nations. So let's say he got a promotion for his name. A promotion in his name. So, um, may our names be great in this earth. And as we, and the only thing that makes our name great is that we lift up the greatest, and that's Christ. Amen. Okay, but nevertheless, John chapter three, verse three. Jesus answered him, "Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God." Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? <clears throat> Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Um, there's a number of things that I want to point out. First of all, I, I want to remove this false idea that this passage is talking about water baptism. It is not talking about water baptism. There is nothing at all related to water baptism. And the reason why I have to say this is because there's this false idea out there that purports that unless you are baptized in water, that you aren't saved. And um, now I want to say that we do need to be baptized as a fulfillment of the commands that Jesus had given. Obviously, it's a command. But that in itself does not save. The grounds of our salvation is the blood of Christ not water baptism. As a result of our salvation, we will want to get baptized in order to fulfill the commands of Jesus. Now, let me prove this to you. When he says, born of water and the Spirit, there is no, everywhere else where the Bible commands water baptism, it never uses the language, born of water. Never. So, unless this is something very unique that Jesus is saying to be poetic in his command for us to be baptized or else that's not what he's talking about and if you look i'm not going to try to explain the mechanics of it but it's called granville sharp's rule it's a, a grammatical rule in in greek that states um whenever a noun is preceded by what's called the definite article it's just the word the that's what the definite article is and then it's followed by the word chi which is the greek word and and then it's followed by another noun that has an absence of the definite article. The two nouns are one and the same thing. So that's why it says, and so in other words, when it says be born of the water, there's the definite article, the, the water, no, the spirit, or wait, hold on, where is it at? Verse, the water 
and the Spirit. It's referring to them interchangeably. The Spirit is the water and the water is the Spirit. This is why Jesus says, Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Thus he spake concerning the Spirit that was not yet poured out. In Ezekiel he says, I will wash you with pure water and put into you my Spirit. The Bible says in Titus, The washing of the water of the Word by regeneration. Right? So it's not talking about water baptism here. Okay, and I just want to make that clear because if if the Bible is the final authority, we have to submit to its authority and not fuse our interpretation into the scriptures. We have no right and no authority to do that. Okay? And and as we as we look, Jesus is telling him, if you're not born again, if you're not born by the Spirit, and and one one other point, this is how we know he's only ex- Exclusively talking about uh, 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 being regenerated by the Spirit and not water baptism. Because verses later, he says the Spirit blows where he wishes. So he's following up what he meant originally by saying that the Spirit is the one that gives life. He blows where he wills and will breathe upon people in order to give and transmit life. Okay, there's no, no talk here of water baptism. Okay, now, notice here, he's talking about sight. And he's saying, in other words, that if your lineage is even Abrahamic, your genealogy dates back to Abraham and the old patriarchs, and you're ethnically Jew, Jesus says that profits you nothing. For the flesh profits nothing. You still do not have the software it, and the hardware, in order, you don't have the capacity to be able to perceive spiritual things because you are yet a natural man. It's a categorical fallacy. That is to say, imagine if I said I could hear with my eyes or see with my ears. It's a categorical fallacy. I can't perform that which, um, in question, um, is incapable of performing. Okay? So he's saying that, and even if it was possible for you to enter back into your mother's womb, you will still come out flesh. You need to be born of the Spirit. In other words, you must have the Holy Spirit residing within you. In other words, you must be regenerated. In other words, you must be born from God. And so, it's not talking about coming to see God before His throne. It's talking about seeing God here and now. This, and, and being able to hear what the Spirit says to the church. That's why Jesus says, He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. But you cannot hear the Spirit if you don't have the capacity for spiritual things. And if you don't have capacity for spiritual things, then you have not yet become born of the Spirit. But we see this. This is prerequisite. If you are not born again, there is no ability that you have to be able to perceive spiritual things, to hear God, to see God. Amen? Um, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 and 2, it says that you were dead in sins, but He has made you alive in Christ. 
Does a man in the grave, is he capable of seeing things? He's not capable of seeing or hearing. Because that is now a corpse. It's incapable of life. It's incapable of functioning um, in the same way that a body that is alive is capable of performing. Are you with me so far? Amen. Okay, so that's first of all. This is this is salvation. This is entering into the sheepfold. This is being made alive, quickened by the Holy Spirit. We're saved. We're united with God. Without this, anything else I say from this point forward will be unhelpful for you. But nevertheless, if you turn to Ezekiel chapter 36, the second point I have here is that the new birth gives the capacity for us to obey and to be spiritual and to see and to hear. So this first passage that I read um, states that we need to be born again. And, and these following passages that I want to read real quickly is only going to further uh, solidify and, and confirm that. If you turn to Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 27. Ezekiel chapter 36, chapter 36, verses 25 through 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, And you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. And so, notice though, this is what I was talking about in Ezekiel. This is what Jesus alludes to when he says, unless you're born of the water and the spirit, right? Well, what does it state here that he will sprinkle us with clean water? Not as the Catholics do. But there is a cleanliness um, about our new lives because with his pure water, he sprinkles us and he cleans us. And this is equated to the receiving of that new spirit. Right? That is, that, in other words, the sprinkling of the clean water is the receiving of the new spirit. This is being born of water and of spirit. You see that? Now notice though, he says, you will be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. This is precisely why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 8 that only the pure in heart shall see God. He says, Blessed, or makarias, are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Happy is the man that is pure in heart, for he shall see God. Right? So that purity comes not from... Uh, modifying our lives externally in order for it to conform to the Bible. Any true conformity to the Bible begins with this one act by the Spirit that He cleanses you with pure water from all of your idolatry. 
Jesus says this that if any man's will is if any man's desires to do the will of God he will know he will have gnosis that is to say knowledge there will be no uncertainty there will be no speculation he will know that my doctrine is from God if it is his desire to do the will of God he will know that my doctrine is from God so, in other words, if your position, if there's a pre-commitment within the heart, a predisposition that says, I want to do my will, which is rebellion, which is idolatry, then you are utterly incapable of knowing the will of God for your life because you're already defected from the beginning. And so, therefore, you cannot come to a uh, uh, good result because the fin- the starting line is defective. There is no finishing if there is no good starting. So it starts with purity of heart. And this is the act of the Holy Spirit. Not something we do. Not trying to get our lives to look better. Not trying to shape up our lives. There is no shaping up our lives if the Holy Spirit doesn't cleanse us from the love we have for idols. He does it. He perform it. He does the purifying. It says that Jesus, when he sat, when he says, after having made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He does the purifying. He does the saving. He does the delivering. And it wasn't until he delivered his people out from the land of Egypt that once he says, he says, let my people go that we may worship the Lord. And then after the worshiping of the Lord at Mount Sinai, there was a distribution of the Ten Commandments. So first comes salvation and deliverance. Then comes worship. Then comes obedience. Not obedience, then deliverance. It's deliverance, worship, then obedience. Am am I speaking to some cessationists here? I think we all need to get delivered. I'm preaching myself happy here. Slap your neighbor and tell your neighbor, wake up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Hallelujah. Slap your neighbor and tell your neighbor. Wake up. Okay, so Ezekiel chapter 36, he says that he will sprinkle us with clean water. He will put us in a a new heart and a new spirit. (coughs) When he puts that new spirit in us, he says, I will cause you to walk after my statutes. I I will cause you. The cause for our obedience is the placement of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Okay? And it's because of that initial act by the Holy Spirit that quickens us, that regenerates us, that gives us new life. We are now therefore able to walk in righteousness. And it's only those who are able to see, to hear, who can adequately walk in a way of righteousness. This is why Jesus speaks of the people, the Pharisees, and and men who rejected the Christ. He says, 
Speak to these people that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not hear. And that they may turn to the Lord and their sins may be blotted out. He says, in other words, they're incapable of coming to the Lord and and being saved because their minds have been darkened from understanding. But when our minds are enlightened with the truth, we are therefore capable of turning to the Lord and walking after his ways and fulfilling righteousness. You all with me? I want to show you in John chapter 10, verse 27, that it is possible that it is your portion to be able to hear Jesus. Um, that all of us should be able to hear the voice of God. It's John chapter 10, verse 27. John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So notice that the following is preceded by the hearing. But the grounds of both, of both the following and the hearing, is God's knowing of us. It begins there. That he knows you to be his sheep. Now, I I don't want you to be discouraged because here's the thing. Even though you hear God, it is capable for you to misinterpret him. And just because you misinterpret him doesn't disqualify you from being his sheep. It doesn't mean that you don't... um, It doesn't mean that you're not of His. It means that you haven't trained your senses to be able to discern. Your spiritual organs and your your spiritual organs have not been sharpened to be able to be receptive and to rightfully interpret the voice of the Spirit. Amen? And let me prove that to you. uh, Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. I told you we're going to be doing a bit of reading. Um, <coughs> and we're going to be doing a bit of um, uh, hopefully note taking as well. So number one, you must be born again. Number two is that this born again experience, according to Ezekiel chapter 36, is conducive to our following after righteousness. And, and that is preceded by the act of the Spirit that purifies our hearts. And it's precisely that purification of heart that Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, that gives us the capacity to see God. And number three is this, that it's our portion for all believers to be able to hear the voice of our shepherd. Now notice it doesn't say, my prophets... Hear my voice. My sheep, all of us, whether prophet or not, can hear the voice of our shepherd. 
Amen. But now uh, turn to First uh, Samuel chapter three, beginning at verse one, and we're we're gonna read here. <clears throat> if you want to know what translation I'm reading, I'm reading uh, ESV. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim, so, a dim so that he could not <coughs> see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called him again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli, and he said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood, calling Samuel as at the other times. Samuel, Samuel. Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Now, that's enough. But what we see going on is Eli is the priest of the Lord. And he stands as a minister, a mediator between God and men. Right? He's in the holy service of the Lord. And in his old age, and this is very prophetic, in his old age, he, his eyes grow dim. He's not able to see how he used to see. And as we know, the sons of Eli were uh, profane men. They were unholy men. <clears throat> Who were supposed to be performing, ministering unto the Lord, but they were, um, they were playing games in God's house, to put it lightly. And uh, it was the will of the Lord to strike them dead, and as a consequence, they died. Um, but Eli allowed sin into the camp, and compromise is the very thing that did not blind Eli, but dimmed his sight. He's a he was a holy man of the Lord. But compromise set in. And so this, is, this indicates that you can know God and not be utterly blind. But you may have need of hearing aids and glasses, so to speak. Because there are decisions and life choices that are, are, are that, that is inhibiting a 2020 vision. Is preventing you from obtaining a 2020 vision. But notice here, Samuel had to be weaned off the voice of Eli because he equated the voice of Eli with the voice of God and he equated the voice of God with the voice of Eli. Samuel was holy. He was consecrated by his mother Hannah in the temple. So he, he, he was consecrated as, as one that uh, was to serve the Lord. So he is of the Lord, 
But nevertheless, he was not familiar with the voice of God. And so though the voice of God was speaking to him, and though he was hearing the voice of God, he was not, correct, he was not correctly interpreting the voice he began to hear. And so I'm going to tie this into you. There are many things that God is speaking to you about. There's things that you see God doing in your life or in the lives of others. And you second guess because you assume that it's probably your own thoughts or your own ears or your own vision. <coughs> On the contrary, there are many things that God is doing and you're saying is, is, is not him. You're in disbelief. Because you haven't exercised your senses to tune into the frequency of the Holy Spirit to be able to determine what exactly the Spirit is saying to the church, saying to the world, and saying to you. Amen, somebody? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So, <clears throat> turn to Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. As I said already, I, I, I hope that this isn't too much uh, Bible reading for you all. But I'm showing from the scriptures themselves um, the ideas that I'm communicating to you so that my words don't lose authority. I want you to see that it is there in the text. It's there in the scriptures. Um, Luke chapter 24, verse 13, all the way through 32. Once again, Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 32. <clears throat> <clears throat> It says this, In the very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking, discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes kept, uh, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen visions of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones! And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but he urged them him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us? while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. So what you find going on is the disciples had spent three years with Jesus. And he had taught them many things. They had seen the miraculous. They had the Holy Spirit. Why do we know this? Because they were casting out demons, performing miracles. They were healing. You can't do that in your own strength. You can't do that after the flesh. They had the Holy Spirit, and nevertheless, there was still an inability for them to recognize Jesus in their midst. It's my fear that as we feel the presence of God and the Holy Spirit is in our midst, you can't sense Him. It doesn't mean that you're not saved. It means that you're not Spiritual as a saved man or a saved woman. <clears throat> but they knew him to be a prophet. And so as that pro- the great prophet of all prophets spoke, he expounded to them the scriptures. And so what was happening in their hearts is there was spiritual activity. Otherwise they would not have said, did not our hearts burn within us? So in other words, there is life percolating in their hearts, but the thing, their traditions, what they seen with their own eyes, that Jesus died, that they were concluding the truth, they were concluding um, about God based off what their eyes had seen and what was reported in the community and not what was burning in their hearts and what the Spirit spoke through the witnesses, Right? And isn't that what we do today? You conclude with what your eyes see. You're not blind yet. You still see after the natural man. You can't hear after the spirit. You're still hearing things and interpreting things from a natural lens. And and a lot of their Judaic uh, 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 traditions about there being a militant Messiah, and they had no reference point for a dying Messiah. And nevertheless, it was scriptural. Isaiah 53 talks about the suffering servant. And so, um, their hearts, their head had to catch up with their hearts, and not their hearts with their head. Do you see that? Their hearts had to catch up with their heads. Because the Holy Spirit was burning within them. That was what they were experiencing. There was a burning in their hearts. And nevertheless, they led more credibility to what they had witnessed regarding the death of their master rather than what the Spirit was saying to their hearts. Amen. 
And this will be the case for some of you. There will be things that you are witnessing with the natural eye. There are things that are still not changing in your life or things that have come into your life or there are are reports of fear, reports of calamity, reports of, of devastation or destitution. And the Spirit of God will begin to speak to your heart that that is not the final outcome. And yet we have a decision. Are we going to um, uh, uh, lead, lend more credibility to the burning in our soul? Or are we going to le- lend more credibility to, what, to that which the natural eye sees? Amen, somebody. How many times has the devil fed you with the report and told you that this was going to happen? You were going to die and go to hell, that this sickness was going to be unto death. How many times does the devil have to pimp you out with lies for you to finally conclude that everything he says is nothing but deception? I'm going to obey and listen to the voice of my good shepherd. Hallelujah. But this is indicative of the fact that Jesus can speak to you, expound the scriptures to you. There be no lack of clarity. And nevertheless, you find an incapability to be able to uh, embrace the word of God with belief and faith. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter of uh, 1. Uh, no, not 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. <coughs> Verses, uh, verse 8. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 2, verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. People stop right there and say, Oh, you know, they use this as a text to um, justify the claim that there's things that are mysterious about God that we won't know. I understand there's things that are mysterious about God that we won't know, but this is not the text that you go to in order to justify that claim. That's not what this is talking about. Don't stop there. Keep going. Verse 10, these things, which things? The things that no eye has seen nor ear heard, neither has the heart of man imagined. God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Colossians chapter 3 verse 2, if I'm not mistaken, says, In Christ is hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And it's the Spirit of God that searches the deep things of God. And because the Spirit now lives within us, we have access to the depths of God. We have access to that treasure. And the Holy Spirit reveals to us these things that we can hear and see because we are spiritual. And then he begins to say that the carnal man doesn't receive that which the spirit meant. Oh, we'll go ahead and read it. 
It says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which, uh, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So in other words, this is what... So how is it that... So I have no access to your thoughts. Because I don't have your spirit. You have your spirit. You live with... You are your spirit. Right? And you inhabit a body. And so you know your own thoughts because you are your spirit. And so you live with your thoughts. You think things. You freely think that. You freely think this. Right? And I don't know what you are thinking. You don't know what I'm thinking. And praise God that it's that way. Right? Because we'd probably have no friends. And it would be, a, you know, like like random thoughts pop in your head. Like, you know, thinking about like, I don't know, sheep like floating, like flapping with wings. Like just weird stuff, you know? <laughs> Anyways. Um, um, or, or maybe you still imagine that you're some superhero or something like, eh, bro, that's weird. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I'll stop. Uh, but we have the Holy Spirit and who knows the thoughts of the spirit except the spirit himself. So we have access to the Holy Spirit. And therefore have access to the thoughts and the mind of God. <clears throat> Philosophers call this knowledge by acquaintance. There's three categories for knowledge. Propositional knowledge, knowledge by acquaintance, and know-how knowledge. Propositional knowledge is 1 plus 1 equals 2. Or propositional knowledge is cigarettes cause cancer. Right? That requires research. And I'm locked out of that knowledge if I don't have that research. But knowledge by acquaintance is, I feel pain. I have sensations. I see a tree. Or I'm thinking thoughts. This isn't something you have to prove. And so because the Holy Spirit lives within us, we don't need proving. We don't need proof. We have immediate knowledge. We know once the Spirit speaks to us because He lives within us, we can know independent of evidence. We don't need evidence. Faith is evidence. Faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Amen. Amen. So God works on an economy that is different from men. Philosophers ask, what is your cogent argument? That led you to that conclusion. What is your uh, are your premises sound that lead to a sound? Are your premises true and and is your logic valid that leads to a sound conclusion? And I'm not saying that there isn't a place for argumentation, but I'm saying this that independent of any of that, we can know the things that God is revealing to us without argument, without evidence. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> so, the Holy Spirit shows us these things. And if we continue reading verse 12, he says, Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. 
That's why every demonic doctrine that has a body of knowledge is all predicated upon some demonic spirit that educated them in that. Right? Um, the Bible talks about doctrines taught by demons. They're teaching things from a spirit that is educating them. That's why people who are demon-possessed, they go insane because they hear spirits all the time. Or things like that. They, that there's no way that they can avoid not hearing this. Unless the demon gets cast out. So the demon has to leave the body for them to stop getting these demonic revelations and, and, and um, the, these, these, these um, voices. Right? Well, the Holy Spirit lives within us, so we have His revelations. We have the mind of God. We have the depths of God. We have all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But it is the glory of God to conceal things and is the glory of King to search out these matters. God is not just going to reveal to you everything at once. It comes at a price tag. And the price tag is sacrifice. The price tag is pressing in. The price tag is an ardent desire that is earnest in the face of trouble, in the face of the flesh that wants to allure you back to a place to where you are not wanting to pray. But the man that is desirous of the Spirit says, I want more of God. I'm going to draw into Him and, and to receive the things that He has for my life that He reveals by the Spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. <clears throat> now, I hope that we understand thus far. I'm, I'm educating our minds here. Once again, prerequisite is that we're born of the Spirit. And a part of the experience that we have with being regenerated, born again, is that He cleanses us from idols. That doesn't mean that you might struggle. You might. There's a possibility that you can struggle and you can fall back. That's why John says, "Keep your my beloved children. Keep yourself from idols." We have to maintain this purity. Our spirit man is like a jeep that drives in the dirt or drives on the road. It collects dust underneath, and you have to constantly keep. Cleaning and cleaning and cleaning and cleaning. That's why in Jesus' model of prayer, he says as, as an outline for us to pray daily, uh, Father, forgive us of our sins just as we've forgiven those who've sinned against us. So confession is a lifestyle. It's, it's not a once, and all, a once and for all thing. But he gives us the capacity to see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And we're made pure not by what we do, but we're made pure by the Spirit. For the Bible says, Jesus Christ has become unto us wisdom, knowledge, sanctification, and justification. He says, you have been um, uh, um, justified um, in the name of our God. And he says, you've been sanctified by the Spirit. But nevertheless, as we as we come here to um, my next point, I want to give us some criteria for an, uh, in or to help us to determine when the Spirit of God is speaking. So I've laid the found the foundation here to to communicate to us 
that the, those that are born again can have the capacity to hear God. But you might still be wondering, in what manner can I expect to hear God? If you turn to Romans chapter 14, verse 17, Romans chapter 14, verse 17, and I, I hope that you're getting something from this. This is important. You have to be well assured of this. You have to... You have to get to the place to where you have fluency in hearing your shepherd's voice, in hearing your father's voice. <clears throat> Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So, this topic was particularly related to hearing the voice of God for our lives. In other words, how might I come to know the will of God through the voice of His Spirit or through spiritual perception? And the, 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 the Holy Spirit works in conjunction with kingdom principles. And the kingdom... Paul tells us is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So in other words, when I come and I'm praying about matters, and I'm needing to hear from God, I'm needing to uh, receive the promptings of the Spirit, or, or, uh, or, or um, um, a plan for this next phase or stage in my life, or direction, or details, the first criteria is, does it satisfy the criteria of righteousness? So if you said, oh, it was the will of God for me to, uh, you know, um, to have fornication. But God, under God understands because we're engaged. No. No. Not at all. That is not righteous. And so, there, no matter how you finesse it, no matter how you slice it, dice it, no matter if you try to blab it, grab it, confess it, to possess it, speak it to reap it, it's not going to happen because it's not satisfying righteousness. In other words, your conduct is not consistent with the patterns and the principles of Scripture. Amen? <clears throat> Amen. Amen. Lying to get money. Making out with your girlfriend. Touching each other in places where you ought not to touch them. Saying sexually uh, uh, seductive things. What is it that we're doing? Trying, trying to get with an unbeliever? How about this? Trying to get with someone of another religion. Oh, he's Catholic. He's worshiping idols. But, you know, I can save him. Stop it. No, you can't. Repent and serve the Lord. 
You know why? Because the moment you accept a pagan, they will become thorns in your side. Because you did not drive them out. I'm not talking about drive them out by the edge of the sword, but you drive them out. In other words, you excommunicate certain people from your life. There, there is no place, there is no room. And, and the Holy Spirit is speaking through me. I, I know when the Spirit prompts me. And I don't know what it is about you all. I'm not, I'm not looking at anybody. I don't have anybody in mind. I just speak by the Spirit, not by my mind. But he keeps, I, I don't know who it is, but it, it, it's someone's not listening. And you need to listen to the voice of God. Because relationships keep getting brought up. I don't know if it's someone, a a new person, every other week. I don't know what have you. But the point is this, that the Spirit is speaking. And He needs you to stop finessing. Stop trying to manipulate His will. Trying to bend His arm in order to get Him to bless something He has already cursed. It's not of Him. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says. And mark my words, the Spirit is speaking. It's not Brother Greg. Open your ears that you may hear. Does it satisfy the criteria for righteousness? Amen. Yes, Solomon. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines. What did the Lord tell him? Don't mingle with these other women. Because the day you do, they will turn your heart away from the Lord and they will cause you to to serve these false gods. Oh, but we like to spiritualize it, don't we? You say, well, we're we're having a Bible study. Hey, we're having a Bible study. Like, you know, I got him to watch my favorite preacher. I got her to I got her to watch Paul Washer. Ha <laughs> ha So what? The devil watches Paul Washer too. Amen. He watches Paul Washer right there with you. He watches Leonard Ravenhill right there with you. He watches all these other preachers right there with you. He said, lies, lies, lies. Don't believe that, lies. Believe Joel Osteen. Come on. It's easier for you. You know you want to. I'm being facetious, but you get the point. That it doesn't matter. Be a hearer of the word only is not going to profit you. These people that you were trying to link with need to be doers of the word. Speak Holy Spirit. Let, let, let me say this. I will, I'll, I'll last, well, last thing I'll say about it is uh, <clears throat> it says that they that do righteousness are born from God. It says in 1 John that they who practice righteousness 
Um, <laughs> I'll stop, Daniel. <laughs> um, um, they that practice righteousness is from God. Right? And so, if someone is living an unrighteous life, you can look pretty polished and moral and still be unrighteous. And so the reason why is because they're not submitted to they're not submitted to God. They're not submitted to Christ. And that's the greatest sin in the world is saying that I don't need Christ, I can live my own life. You're rebelling against Christ as Lord. That's what it is, rebellion. If you if you if you messed up or you know, you, you deal with a little bit of pride and you have to put it in check and stuff like that. You know, that's something else. God forgives those things. But God will never forgive a man that says, I don't need him. How can he if the man doesn't come to him? Don't sell your birthright for a bowl of beans. Don't be an Esau. That was his calling. It's his birthright, and he forfeited it. If you marry the wrong person, you might still be able to do the will of God, but you're going to have a thousand thorns in your side in doing so. Just because you wanted your bowl of beans. You wanted sex for a night. Amen. <clears throat> so. Yeah. Um, satisfying righteousness. And turn. Uh, you know. You know. You know. Um, I'm going to try to get through these scriptures quickly. I know that. I'm inundating you with all these passages, but I I want you guys to write them down so you can go back to them later. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 through 14. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. If you turn there, you'll read... Um, for though by the t this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So what does that tell us? You can be unskilled in righteousness. Even as people who are saints of the Lord. Because he's writing to the church. He's not writing to the world. There is no single letter in all of this Bible that is written to the world. Because the Bible says in the Psalms, he says, he says unto the wicked, what, uh, what reason do you have to put my covenant to your lips and to cite my laws? These laws are not for the wicked. It's for the righteous. It's God's law. Right? And so this tells us 
that there is a time when they had they needed to be teachers, but they had stunted their growth and therefore were incapable of of uh, of practicing their discernment. They were unskilled in righteousness. And as a consequence, they couldn't even distinguish both from good and evil. How about this? You can't distinguish the girl uh, in, in, in the church that happens to sing on the praise team but lives like a devil. You don't know whether to take her out on a date or not. Right? Because you're confused, like, well, she's singing up there, she kind of dresses with modest, and she seems really cool, seems really nice, but I don't know why she's smoking weed. <laughs> I don't know. Why is she doing that? I don't know, maybe, may, maybe she just hasn't had that Bible study just yet. Right? You know, I remember one time I was at church, right? <laughs> I seen a, I don't know if you guys ever seen Bruce Almighty um, or a Training Day. There's this dude. Uh, his name is Noel G. He's an actor. Sadly, I think he backslid, but for a time he was serving the Lord, and uh, and he went to our church, right? <clears throat> and because uh, <laughs> he does a little bit of comedy, right? And so, like in the back of my old church, we had like, you know, uh, uh, bricks. Like these white bricks that look like the county jail here. And he said, and you know, he talks like, you know, like a, like real, uh, like a real, you know, Hispanic. He's all, he's all, hey, pastor. He's all, he's all, man, fool, I don't really like this church, eh? And he, and uh, he's like, he's we're like, why, why, why? And he's all, and then he went like this. He went like side this way. He went like this. He said, it brings back too much memories, man. And what 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 it, what he was saying is like it reminds him of taking the mug shots when he was in jail, but um, he <laughs> but he said this one part he um, he was talking about how when he just became a baby Christian that someone was tempting him that was kind of provoking his pride this and this and that and then uh, um, and then he was like tempted to fight the guy. Well, the dude that was discipling him said, "Hey, hey, hey, you know, stop! Don't do that! Don't do that!" You know, that's not what we were doing. And then he was talking about, um, he's all, man, dude, don't judge me. He said, I didn't know we we're supposed to turn the other cheek. I haven't read that in the Bible just yet. <laughs> I haven't read that in the Bible, eh? <laughs> don't judge me, fool. <laughs> <laughs> so um it's just a little bit of laughter. I hope that you guys are all uptight and pharisaical. <laughs> um but never nevertheless it it shows us that we can be unskilled in the word of righteousness. We can be skilled in righteous uh, unskilled in righteous living and as a consequence we can't distinguish what is God, what God wants us to do or what God doesn't want us to do. All right, but this is the language of the spirit. These are the principles of the kingdom. Whenever now, that's the bare minimum. It has to be a righteous endeavor. It has to be a righteous path. All of the paths of the Lord are righteous. In Him there is light. Uh, he is light, and in Him there is no darkness. 
So that's the bare minimum. The second criteria is peace. The Bible says in Psalm 85 verse 8 that he will speak peace unto his people. So peace is a language of the Holy Spirit. Because there's going to be times where you come to a fork in the road and both paths that you can potentially take are righteous. And so you will need more than doctrine in order to determine the path in which the Holy Spirit wants you to take. And the Holy Spirit will speak peace. The Bible says in Isaiah, it says, uh, There will be a voice that speaks from behind you. This is the way, walk ye in it. He doesn't say that uh, you will read the text and will say this is the way, walk in it. He says you will hear a voice from behind you and it says this is the way, walk in it. And well, the way that the Holy Spirit speaks and tells you to walk is through the language of peace. Through the language of peace. But let me say this, if you're... If you're, if you're struggling with the ability to distinguish both good and evil on this by the standard of righteousness, your compass for peace may not be reliable. Right? If you know how to discern, uh, discern both good and evil touching righteousness, then you are qualified to be able to discern the voice of the Spirit to be able to be receptive to the peace that He gives us. Yeah, exactly. Like people say, I have peace about this, but it's not righteous. So he speaks peace. I don't know if you've ever had times where you came across someone and you just were robbed of peace in your heart. There was a check in your spirit. Well, it's because the Holy Spirit is is telling you Not to be with that person. Whether it's a relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a partnership. He speaks peace. And that is the the kingdom principle. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now I want to ask that you turn to John chapter 15 verse 10. We're almost done. John chapter 15 verse 10. I want to say this. If in any case you feel like, ah, this is taking so long. Look, man, you have gone to school for how many years of your life every single day for over six hours a day? You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You know, I said one time, you know, because sometimes people like to sing when they're not called to sing, and they butcher their song, and it sounds like, and forgive me, it sounds like a howling dog. The Bible says for us to endure sound doctrine, not for us to endure worship. (laughs) So, that's for free. Because I'm tired of, I'm, I'm just be honest, I'm tired of pastors who allow people to sing that 
torments the congregation. It's like, bro, take them down. Stop trying to be nice. They're not called to sing. For real, they're like, ah. like it's like, man, like that's not even a key. There's 12 keys in music and you ain't even hit. What is that? <laughs> so, John chapter 15, verse 10 through 11 <clears throat> if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Now notice, these things I have spoken to you. Who has spoken? Jesus. What is He doing? He's speaking. That my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So, the language of the Spirit is the language of joy. So how do you know when you're not doing the will of God? You will be robbed of joy. You won't have joy in your heart. When, are you know, when do you know that you're fulfilling the will of God? Is when joy is to the full. So look, here's the thing. You can have joy by virtue of the fact that you're reconciled with God. But it isn't until he begins to speak and we follow his speech that we have fullness of joy. Does that make sense? And the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's not my joy. It's his joy. The joy of the Lord. It's his joy. And so I find strength to do things if the things that I'm doing is his will. Because he only gives strength to those who do his will. So if I find my strength and myself with his strength, it's because I'm fulfilling his joy. So the joy of the Lord, that's my strength. When I bring joy to him for doing what he's called me to do, he provides me with the strength and the joy to do it. His joy becomes my joy now. Does that make sense? So how do I know when the Holy Spirit is speaking to me? I will have righteousness. I will have peace. And I will have joy. So in your time of prayer, as you begin to petition the Lord, and you begin to ask God, which way should I take? Which way should I go? And you begin to sense an overwhelming uh, 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 reality of peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's how you know that the Spirit has granted you those requests and that you are walking in the right direction. Because let me tell you this. If you try to... Let, let me just give an example. If you try to pray that some other man who's married will become yours or some other woman will become yours, those prayers will hit the ceiling and you'll find a check in your heart if you're saved. You'll find no inspiration from the Holy Spirit to keep praying nonsense like that. You'll be like, oops, oops I just left. I'm out of here. And you will find no grace to continue those prayers. And you'll be like the Pharisee who says he prayed thus to himself. Amen? Amen. Am I, am I preaching the Bible or... 
You're too busy lamenting. <laughs> I have one more point. <clears throat> uh, sis, I think... Um, I remember someone said this. Peace is joy quieted, but joy is peace excited. Peace is joy quieted, but joy is peace excited. So they all from the source of the Spirit. But the expressions may, dif- may differ at times, or one, one expression might be predo- more predominant in that moment than the other. <clears throat> now, um, the final point I would say is faith. Romans chapter 14, verse 23. And we're almost coming to a close, y'all. But I hope that I'm... What I'm doing is I'm educating your minds. This may not make for the best um, preach-you-happy sermon, but I'm educating your mind so that you have a good um, framework and be rooted in these truths. Romans chapter 15, verse 23, But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. When you're operating in the will of God, you have a spirit-infused faith. How do I know what the spirit is saying? Where do you find faith pulsating? Where do you find faith predominant? Now, obviously, this is a tricky one because sometimes you can legitimately doubt the will of God. And we can doubt for many different reasons. But nevertheless, there should be a presence of faith. Faith and presumption are not the same thing. Presumption is when I presume something to be the case based on my own thinking. Faith, and, and it's it's something that is mental. It's something that is soulish. It's within the realm of the soul. But faith is elicited by the Spirit. The, the Bible talks about faith being a gift. The Spirit gives faith in in order to prompt you in certain directions. Right? And if you read uh, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So faith is the language of the Spirit and it works by virtue of our not seeing those things. In other words, our natural eyes are not uh, 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 rec- are not being commu- our natural eyes if we rely on our natural eyes we will be deceived and, and the Lord wants us to walk in a direction not by what our eyes see but by what the spirit is seeing and the spirit sees certain things reveals us those things and then elicits faith in our hearts to obtain those things Amen. That's why it says, "By faith we know that the that the world." Um, hold on. Let me turn there. I don't want to uh, butcher it. Hebrews chapter eleven, verse one. 
says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. So the things that we see in this life that are visible all have a, uh, an, uh, an invisible beginning. All have an invisible origin. What is that invisible origin? The word of God that cannot be seen. So the spirit of God speaks things to your heart in order for them to be created in your life and become visible. Do you see that? And wherever the word of God speaks, the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. Amen? So if God has spoken to you in a specific direction, it is typically accompanied by faith. Obviously we can doubt, but faith should nevertheless be present because faith is, is the language of the Spirit and He wants to bring to visibility the things that you know in your heart that are invisible. I don't think you're all following me. Amen, somebody? Y'all with me? Are we, are we on social media? It's no, it's no wonder why you can't hear God if you're distracted by social media. Or called one of you out, huh? See, you can play with your destiny by distraction. Some of us might not take it serious, but distraction will work wonders for the devil in your life. All it takes is one second for you to be distracted on the road and you're dead. Right? Do not be distracted with the things of the Spirit. Because it might cost you your life. The Spirit says, take that way. And you don't. You don't have spiritual vigilance and the ability to see and be alert. It says, our adversary is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Right? So we're we're coming to a close now, and my final thing is Second Kings chapter six verse seventeen. Because you might be saying, "Well, how exactly can I tune my ears?" So I gave you criteria to help discern how you know that the Spirit is speaking. But you need more than that. You need not only criteria, because what good is it if I give criteria for a man, to a blind man, to be able to discern a certain destination, give him tools to navigate? It's not going to help him, he's blind. 
So Second Kings chapter 6 verse 17. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. So the Lord is able to create blindness and sight. And the vehicle through which we obtain greater sight is prayer. David said, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things in your law. Paul says, Look into these things, for the Lord will give you insight. Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 5, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Bible says in Proverbs chapter 2, That if from then you cry after uh, aloud for wisdom, and lift up your voice for understanding, then shall you find the knowledge of God, and wisdom shall be pleasant unto thy soul. To him that seeks, he shall find. To him that knocks, the door will be opened. To him who asks, receives. But it says in James, Let that man ask in faith, not doubting. For the man who doubts is unstable in all his ways. Let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. So, how do I gain spiritual sight? How can I tune in my ear to hear the Holy Spirit better? And it's by prayer. And and it's such a prayer that, look, however old you are, you've had that many years to develop your senses. A baby, when it is a week old, does not have the best sight. It cannot see far. It is underdeveloped. But it is alive. Some of you are alive, but you are underdeveloped. You are not mature. You haven't come to completion as far as your senses are concerned. And so therefore, what you need to do, according to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, is exercise your senses by constant practice. So you can cultivate that. But what that requires for you to do is to be consistent in the scriptures, verse 12 of Romans, uh, chapter 12 verse uh, in Romans, to renew that mind and as well as prayer because it is in prayer that the Holy Spirit guides us for we know not how to pray as we ought. He guides us and we begin to, become, we begin to commune with the mind of God. Because it's the mind of God that is being transmitted to us to voice back to Him in prayer. And so there's this constant cycle. And the more I do that, the more in tune I become with the mind of God. And so therefore, when, the, when God is communicating something to me, I know when He is speaking. I know when He's telling me to go a certain direction. Because I spend enough time with him and enjoy his peace, enjoy in that secret place, such that when he gives me a direction in real life, I know that it is him. Does that make sense? If you don't spend time with him, how do you know when he's speaking? Amen. 
You know, I was, I was, I was, uh, I was, uh, saying, uh, was it last night that, uh, there, cause I go to, uh, there's a community college here. This is a really good example. There's a community college here. And, um, I began going in 2017. And, uh, so that was at a time when I did not meet those of you that are in Europe. And, uh, She's the receptionist. There's this receptionist there that works there that I had spoken to on a number of occasions. She works in the financial aid department. And I had to speak to her, you know, regarding my financial aid and stuff like that. Well, and you know, it's just, it's just a natural conversation. But then after I met those of you in Europe and have become more familiar with, you know, European accents, um, I had spoken to her some months back when I was trying to get back into school for another semester and I I noticed a little taper of a European accent at the end and I was like hey uh I was like you from the UK or something because you you sound like you're not from the states and she said yeah and she said but I moved here in like 2000 and so she had a, a portion of her life in there to where she developed enough of uh, the accent. But when she came here in America, there was kind of like emergence. And so it, was, it wasn't It was easily discernible. But because of my constant practice of hearing different accents, I pick it up easier. I said, no, nah, you're not from here. You're, you're from somewhere else. But it wasn't a, a strong accent. It was very faint. It would taper off at the end of her speech. I don't know how to explain. I don't know how all that stuff worked. But I do know that she wasn't a Native American. She was European. And so I say that because the Holy Spirit speaks with a still, small voice. A still, small voice. He he will not shout through a megaphone. But he will whisper. And if you haven't trained yourself, you can miss his voice. You can miss his voice. 